The VO Meter, measuring your voiceover progress. Welcome everybody to episode 8 of The VO Meter, measuring your voiceover progress. We are going to talk about lots of events today. We have a VO Meter shtick coming up from Heather Masters, and of course, questionable gear purchases. But first, how are you today, Sean? I'm doing all right. I'm actually in Seattle right now recording from a hotel room. So that's why things you might hear the occasional vacuum cleaner or siren outside. Um, but at least the acoustics problems are taken care of for the most part. I'm, I'm using the review unit that I got from Adil Aliyev for the, uh, the carry-on vocal booth version 2.0. We can talk a little bit more about him later, but uh, he's actually working on a newer version of that. Aside from having to deal with like less than ideal recording situation, I'm, I'm having a good time. What about you, Paul? Things are good. Uh, work every couple of uh, days, if not every day. A um, couple of new agents signed with over the last couple of weeks. That's exciting. Very nice. And yeah, just plugging along as always. Very cool. So what's in Seattle? Some of you know I was an English teacher or an ESL. English is a second language teacher for several years. And my, my older brother is as well. And there's actually a, uh, a TESOL, or Teaching English to Speakers of Other Language conference, going on at the, the convention center. So um, him being in Boston, I helped sort of coordinate the travel plans and book the hotel and um, found someone, or found a place that's a wonderful location. It's like a 10, 15-minute walk from the convention center. But it's also, like, that, that's about all it has going for it. Interesting. I didn't know there was a, a way to properly pronounce that acronym. TESOL? Yeah. Interesting. I would have always just said uh, T-O-E-S-L. Oh, no. Yeah, well, I mean, if you have to write it or say it enough, you'll, you'll say TESOL. <laughs> yeah, there's a way to pronounce every acronym. It's one of the challenges of, of working with certain industries. They all have their own jargon that you need to learn before you can actually uh, converse <laughs> with everybody. Speak the language, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So one other thing I wanted to mention is that you and I have actually been booked on another show. Do you want to talk a little bit to the, uh, to the listeners about that? Yeah, that's really cool. We've actually been booked on VOBS, that's VoiceOver Body Shop, uh, starring uh, audio engineer George Widom and um, the home studio master and voice actor Dan Leonard. So this is, this. I don't know about you, Paul, but this is really exciting for me. You guys have heard us mention the show um, several times on the podcast. And honestly, almost everything that Paul and I know about audio was from these two guys. It's like a kid in a candy store. I can't believe they actually asked us to do it. Um, but we'll do our best to impress and hopefully have some fun at the same time. Absolutely. I mean, it's going to be way better than our earlier show. We've, we've appeared a couple times on, uh, on their fan roundtable. Mm -hmm. And I was in Japan at the time, so the internet quality was less than stellar. And I, it, it, the delay was just awful. But the, the guys were really great sports, and it was just fun to be there live. Yeah, we'll have to tease them because um, two weeks ago, I think it was Anthony Mendez was on, and he was saying that he thinks he may be the, the most re most return trip guest or the guest that has made the most return trips. And I was thinking, well, if you count our crazy roundtables, you and I are going to be on three times now. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, but that, that's a little bit different. They brought, like, he's a paid guest. <laughs> I know. I'm just trying to make myself feel better. Mm -hmm. But anyway, that should be a lot of fun. Join us on April 3rd at 6 p.m. Pacific Time, 9 p.m. Eastern, at www.vobs.tv. Should be a lot of fun. Okay, so that pretty much wraps things up for current events. Uh, we're actually going to get to our main topic, which is VO conferences and industry-related events in a few minutes. But right now, our good friend Heather Masters is going to entertain us all with her VO meter shtick. <laughs> Hey everybody, it's time for the VO meter shtick. What did he say? It's time for the VO meter Oh, never mind. The VO meter shtick? Oh, got it. I'm Heather Masters, and I have, oh, so many embarrassing experiences, but I shall choose one. When I was first starting out and I got my very first uh, live session, I had no idea what to expect, and I'm all on my own up here in Alaska, so pretty much everything that I have learned has been via internet or via uh, long-distance coaching. So I was all on my own. Um, 
and super nervous. So whenever he called in, I had all my Skype accounts set up just right, um, which, by the way, I suck at technology. And that was in and of itself a feat for me to learn how to Skype and pretend like I knew what I was doing, which apparently I proved I didn't because um, I had the video on. It never occurred to me. I didn't even know you could turn it off. Um, And so as we were going in the session, he didn't have his video camera on. And as we're going through the session, I'm doing his directions. And there was one part of the section where he kept saying something for me to do. And I just wasn't getting it. Um, I think I was just super nervous and I could hear it in my head, but I couldn't do it with my mouth. And so I kept like having this weird face and and making these like idiot, you know, faces um, because I was frustrated with myself for not getting it. And at one point he said, you know, maybe you should turn your video camera off. And I laughed awkwardly. Oh, <laughs> I know. I make such funny facial expressions. Sorry, I'm really expressive. Ha ha ha. I didn't realize. <laughs> I didn't realize he was being serious. Um, and I didn't know how. So I just left it on, and we continued the session for a couple more minutes, and then it ended. And. I didn't realize until later when I talked to some other VOs that you don't turn your video camera on because you're a voice and don't nobody care what you look like. So I emailed him uh, and said, oh, and I'm sorry about the session this morning and about forgetting to turn my camera off. And then when you mentioned turning my camera off, still forgetting it, it was early on a Monday morning for me and I still hadn't had my coffee. Smiley face. Yeah, I don't think he thought that was very funny. Um, I never heard from him again. And let's just say, if I ever see an audition from this studio, I'm all steer clear because I felt really stupid. So, lesson learned, and it's all part of the journey. <laughs> So, yeah, I love that story. Heather actually told us that uh, personally a few weeks ago. Have you ever done anything like that, Sean? Oh, any large mistakes like that? With a um, client on the line, yeah. So, actually, yeah, I mean, when uh, one of my first coaches, Terry Daniel, like, he just suggested just leave, like, whenever we talked, it would always be audio only. So, which makes sense because usually a lot of us don't have our computers near our mics. So, you couldn't see us if you wanted to. Yeah, and actually, I don't know about you, but when I'm listening to somebody else, like, trying to critique... I usually close my eyes anyway because it helps me focus. If I'm seeing their face, it, it, it sort of messes with my head and I can't give a proper critique. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of my favorite voice actors, James Arnold Taylor, has this great story. He's been the voice of Fred Flintstone for uh, almost two decades. But when he went to audition for the part, I mean, this guy, like, he's, he's a shorter guy. He's like five foot five, maybe like barely over 100 pounds. They would actually look over him. Because they're like, are you sure you're here for the right audition? And the uh, the original voice of Fred Flintstone was actually listening to his audition. He's like, will you just shut your eyes and listen to him? He's the right guy. <laughs> and um, and then the casting director did. He's like, all right, you're right. We'll do him. We'll do. And see, it so, helps. So it, it's really interesting, even in an audio medium, how much the visuals can affect us. So yeah, indeed. So once again, we will get to our main topic of discussion: industry events, in just a moment. But once again, because we just can't help ourselves, here's this week's Questionable Gear Purchase. All right, so for this week's Questionable Gear Purchases, I'm actually doing okay. <laughs> nice. Um, so, but I do want to talk about that because I was looking at a couple of, or I was looking at a new mic. So let me, let me back up a little bit. Uh, I have about three mics right now. I have the JZJ1, which we talked about in an earlier episode, the uh, the Sennheiser 416, which is what I'm using right now. It's a great travel mic and a great, great for a lot of things. Great for radio imaging, great for promo, great for most commercial work. I know a couple of friends doing animation auditions with it as well. So um, it's definitely a good mic to have in the locker if you can afford it. And then I have my uh, my Blue Mouse, which is my fancy pretty mic. But I was looking at, at more neutral 
options for say like e-learning or audiobook work. And so I sat down with some with some audio engineer friends of mine and be like, "Do I actually need another mic?" And they're like, "No, Sean, you don't." So I'm like, <laughs> "So it's a it's really good like if you don't know enough about this stuff, it's always great to get an expert opinion. And who knows, you could save five hundred, a thousand dollars on a purchase you didn't need to make. Yeah, or even ask friends. One of our colleague, Mike Norgard, recently bought a new mic and sent the samples of uh, of an A/B test with his existing four sixteen to us. And my comments were basically, I really think it's a waste for you to stick with what works. Yeah, unless you don't have a backup, and because I mean, these two mics sounded very similar. And on which Mike's is test, funny. you mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, on his test, exactly. And um, like, it was very difficult. Like, there were a couple of parts where we were like, is, "Did he? Sw- is he messing with us? Is he switching the samples? <laughs> so, like, making it harder to guess?" Um, but yeah, I mean, if if he doesn't have a backup, he does now, or he can just sell it and still be fine with the four sixteen. So, it yeah, can at some be point really- you reach a point of diminishing returns where what you have is not going to get any better. It could, yeah, and you can fall under confirmation bias. Like, so you're like, you want to justify the purchase, so you're like, yeah, it sounds great. But uh, what about you, Paul? Any questionable gear purchases? Oh, yeah. Oh, <laughs> yeah. So there's a couple of reasons, or at least rationalizations that I make to myself for this, but I swapped out one mic, the mic I use for audiobooks and long-form narration, because I was looking for something less sensitive, and there was two reasons for that. One... Uh, I have problems with mouth clicks, as I think I've mentioned, and it helps to have something that's not as sensitive for long form. And then also, I had a an author friend who came into the studio, and I recorded her doing an audiobook for the first time, where I was the engineer, and she was doing the narration. And she had maybe the worst mouth clicks I've ever heard. And in case she's listening, I've told her this in person. But <laughs> this was this was just a normal conversation. So we sat down, and we're sort of talking through the process about how it works, and how long it will take. And I said, wow, this is going to be challenging. So I went out and bought an SM58 by Shure, which is a stage mic used for lots of music and onstage live singers. And I put it in the booth and it sounds fantastic. It does have some background noise, which is to be expected with a dynamic mic like that. But so, so when you say background mo- noise, you mean like the self noise? It has some self noise, yes. Yeah. You can definitely hear some self noise in the mic. It's not the quietest. But for what I needed, it was absolutely perfect. I put it way up high, almost to the ceiling for for the author I was recording, and it almost completely eliminated the mouth noise. It's just physically. And wow. it was basically a godsend. And then I use it for myself now for audiobooks, same thing. The, the less sensitivity really helps. And then I run a little noise reduction on the files, and it sounds great at the end of the day. And so. that's something that I've learned. I mean... The more experienced you get with mic technique, you find all sorts of interesting tricks that you can do just with your position in relation to the mic. At first, you might be you might be familiar with, say, proximity effect, which is where you get really close up onto that mic for that those intimate reads. Oh yeah, but, baby. Uh, oh yeah, and then and then you automatically turn into Barry White or Don LaFontaine. But <laughs> but one one thing that people don't try is to actually back off the mic. Um, like we, I mean, we, we have this generic sign. We say we call it a hang ten, where you extend your thumb and your pinky, and then that that helps you dictate about five to six inches away from the mic, which is a good starting point. But lately, I've actually been backing up further, closer to ten inches away, and um, say with the the blue mouse, my recordings have gotten more have gotten a lot clearer, and as with the four sixteen as well, it takes some of the edge off. Yeah, that's a, that actually brings me to my next questionable gear purchase. I went out and bought a Sennheiser 415T, MKH 415T, which is the predecessor to the 416, uh, so to speak. I heard some good recommendations about it, how it's like the 416, but less edgy, especially on the top end and a little bit warmer. So I found one at a good price and I just couldn't resist. So I put it in the booth. I'm talking on it now. And... Again, it sounds fantastic. I have to admit, all my, I know I sound like a complete hypocrite based on my last blog post and all of my talking about less is more, but my gosh, it's just, it's just like butter. There, there are certain products that are worth the high price tag. So it's unfortunate, but I mean, if you can afford it, then get it. <laughs> right. And one other thing I wanted to mention, because some people, some fans actually have reached out to me about this. Another thing I did was put in a channel strip into my signal chain. 
And it's ironic because the very last episode uh, of BOBS, before the anniversary one, so basically the day after I bought this thing, um, George and Dan talked about how channel strips are a complete waste of time, that all they do is introduce extra noise, and they mentioned <laughs> the specific model that I had just bought, the D DBX286, um, there's an A and an S version, I bought the A. But... What I'm going to say is very specific to my situation. I have highway rumble that I've talked about for every episode now. The trucks in the background on the four-lane highway just can't, I can't block it out with after, with, um, after the fact processing. And, um, and you've been fighting that problem for like two years now. Yes. So an, another friend of the program, Alan Taylor, actually suggested using the channel strip and specifically the 286 by DBX to cut out that noise before it gets into the chain. This particular model has an expander built in and a high pass filter. So I found a good deal. It was 140 bucks with shipping. Got it here and plugged it in. And it does exactly what Alan was suggesting. I turned on the expander very lightly. So I took some time to adjust it to make sure I had the settings right. And it blocks out that highway rumble along with the high pass filter and allows me to turn the gain up a little bit more on the mic. And with the shotgun, it, it's like it's not even there. So it's the cleanest signal I've had by far. And in my particular situation where I needed it, it, uh, it works well. But as you can see, this is all evolutionary stuff. So, I mean, Paul had a very specific problem, and then this one product offered the solution. You might be fine with just the mic interface combo yourself. So don't go running out and buying this DBX just because Paul suggested it. Right. Somebody contacted me this week. Uh, it was actually the, the gentleman. I'm not sure if he wants me to mention his name, but it, the same VOBS episode, episode where George and Dan were trashing the DBX, it was because this gentleman sent in a uh, sample to them. And they said, well, you shouldn't have the DBX. That's why it sounds terrible. So he was talking to me about it offline um, saying, do you think I should get rid of it? And I said, actually, I just bought one. <laughs> so it's different strokes for different folks. Definitely know your situation. And I would say don't mess with things unless you really know how to, how to set them up. Speaking of which, because you mentioned having uh, an expander, and that's something we haven't really talked about before. I have a general idea of what that is and what that does, but I, I'd love to hear your description since you're actually using it. Uh, my description? <laughs> but what I think it does, and who knows if, it, if I'm really accurate, is that it cuts out the, the dead space between sounds. So it, it's basically a gate that will clamp down when the sound is not coming to the mic and then rise back up when the sound is coming into the mic. Now, mm -hmm. one of the reasons I like the channel strip is because it has actual dials. I don't have to punch in numbers or settings on a, on a plug-in. I can just adjust the dials until it sounds good. And that has helped a lot. Awesome. Very cool. One less questionable gear purchase. Uh, so as I mentioned, I have the 416. And once, like, once you get all the big purchases out of the way, I'm a big fan of things, of, like, of smaller ones um, to sort of improve your workflow or to, to help the things you already have work better. So I picked up two little things for uh, the 416. One of them is this very discreet um, pop screen or pop filter that uh, goes right onto the barrel of the mic. So uh, I hate dealing with goosenecks. I know it's a traditional design and a lot of pop filters use it, but I've never liked it. I don't even like the fact that they scratch up whatever mic stand you put them on. So, um, so I mean, this one's low profile. Um, it, it looks cool. It works well. It's even portable. Um, it's great. And then the other one was um, a, a shock mount for it, which is also very, like, very small and low profile. It's actually from Rode, who has partnered with Rycote, who specialize in just making shock mounts. And they've got this really interesting, they call it their liar system. So rather than having, say, rubber bands sort of form this web that, that, that wraps around a mic and detaches it from shocks or like helps it absorb shocks, uh, this actually uses sort of rubble or rubble, rubber. Um, Too many Flintstone references. Barney so, Rubble. Yes. <laughs> Barney Rubble. <laughs> hey, Fred. Um, but anyways, <laughs> it uses these little, they call them liars because they're, they're sort of like bow shaped, but uh, they're made out of rubber. They're still very sturdy and lightweight and it's just uh and it looks good with the 416 and if i wanted to i could even use it on a boom pole or um on, on like with a camera rig or something like that uh so i'm happy with those purchases and it wasn't too expensive for both awesome so i guess the moral of the story is there can be not so questionable gear purchases as well 
Well, if you put enough thought into them, none of them are. So There you go. All right, so let's get to the meat and potatoes of the program. We want to talk about events. So, VO Atlanta just wrapped up, and you and I were both there. Let's talk about that. First of all, what were your expectations going in, especially as a second-timer? So, uh, as a second-timer, that's a good point. So, my first year, um, I actually won attendance to come to the conference, So because... And Ganguza and Gerald Griffith, the, the main coordinators of the conference, have this sort of scholarship through Ann Ganguza's Facebook group, the VO Peeps. At the time, I was living in Japan, so I qualified for their international scholarship, and I, I won attendance to the conference. I got a, a nice travel stipend, and, and I was able to come, uh, which was great, because at the time, I couldn't have afforded it otherwise. And, and I had an amazing time. Um, I was just blown away. Like every, like the atmosphere is so electric and positive and encouraging. Um, I met people from all walks of life at all stages of their career. Everyone had something to offer, and I was surprised with how much people were paying attention to my advice. And <laughs> um, and it's funny because like this year, like I'm pretty active on social media, so people are like, "Oh yeah, I know, I've seen all of your posts and your videos. Like, what cartoons are you in?" I'm like. <laughs> Not quite at that level yet, but here's hoping. <laughs> um, but, I mean, it's just so great to be able to connect with people that I've followed online uh, for, for a number of years and, um, and meet them in person and talk shop. It was great. Awesome. So, as a first-timer, I think I mentioned this in, the, in the, the episode leading up to the conference, I didn't really have any expectations. I was showing up as, as a sponge, basically, to absorb as much as I could and see what happens. So I, I tried to do that, basically. I showed up and, and just waited to see what happened. And that was, uh, that was interesting. Mm-hmm. See, that was my plan, too. But then about a week or so before the conference, um, Cliff Selman, he and, uh, he's an audio engineer and um, sort of automotive uh, commercial specialist uh, out of Texas. Um, he and another uh, audio engineer VO, Dan Friedman, were organizing what's called the Team Challenge, and this is some. This was their fourth one. Uh, I don't. I believe the first event didn't have one. But basically, what happens is you get nine teams who are assigned at random. Uh, you you have team leaders who are decided before the conference, but the teams themselves are are decided at random, and then they are given a client, and then they have twenty four hours to write a script, cast the script using the team members. Um, record it in your hotel room with whatever devices you have available and then uh, and then mix it together and then submit it and hope for the best. So originally I wanted to be like Paul and have a very like since I was so since my schedule was so planned out the year before and I had certain expectations being a scholarship winner um, my my original plan was to just enjoy the conference like a newbie and absorb everything that comes my way. But the team challenge is quite the time commitment, and it literally took up half of my conference time. So yeah, I barely saw you. I mean, that was partially my issue too. But yeah. and when you did see me, I was like usually sweating profusely and like Stressed quietly yeah. saying expletives under my breath and, and holding your <laughs> knees and rocking back and forth slowly. <laughs> challenge exactly. <laughs> but um, but there is a happy ending to the story. Um, we we did finish relatively early. I mean, like, yeah, it was half the conference, but there were some people working in, on theirs into the third day. But, like, even though we were competing with each other and there was some, like, joking jabs at each other's expense, it was all good fun. There was no real sense of, like, cutthroat competition. Um, everyone just wanted to make a good spot. So it, it was a good event. And I'm happy to report that my team actually won the Yay. challenge. <laughs> so... Even though I missed half of this year's conference, I get to go next year for free. So there are videos it out there. Out. There are videos out there of Sean's acceptance speech. You should definitely try and catch it if you can. It was pretty epic. Oh wow! I didn't know that got recorded. But that's yeah, cool. No. And I'm like, and I'm all teary eyed and emotional because I'm just like running on three hours of sleep a night, and, and also just... possibly concussed. Didn't you bang your head on the way up the stairs? <laughs> oh, dude, I have pictures. <laughs> I still have. I have this giant bruise on my shin. <laughs> because 
I was so happy. I was so excited. First off, I looked like freaking Hugh Jackman because I'm like, yeah, like when he's about to go berserker barrage. Uh-huh. But um, but I was just so happy. And like I had never first off, I never thought I could do what was required of the challenge before. And then um, and then we won first prize. So, I mean, it was a wonderful feeling. And so in my my rush to get to the stage, I tripped on an audio cable <laughs> <laughs> and almost like concussed myself on the <laughs> railing but thank god like my my spider-like reflexes saved me at the last minute <laughs> yeah that was fantastic <laughs> oh lord thank god that wasn't on camera but, <laughs> but congratulations to you and the whole team i know you worked really hard because i saw i witnessed it I actually yeah. crashed one of your sessions and, and ate dinner with your team um yeah yeah and it was quick and, um, because you guys had to go back out and work right away mm-hmm. so it was exciting but yeah, speaking of which, I hardly saw you at the conference, and I don't think you got much of what you expected out of it either. Well, yeah, speaking about expectations, my experience turned out quite different as well, and that's because I volunteered to work as part of the conference team, specifically the audio-visual team, or AVS team, and that involved setting up all the audio and video for each of the presentation rooms and the main room. So I had to be there on Wednesday, and we had a, a team meeting, and... I thought we'd just sort of hang out after that, but no. Immediately, we had to take all the equipment. We had it all stashed in one room, which is basically a staging room where we could inventory all the equipment to make sure we knew what we had, and then assign it to each room. And it was the most crazy logistics plan I've ever seen. A great job done by Ron Minitri, who was heading up the logistics for that. And a, a well-oiled machine. We set up all the equipment in that room. And then we, we moved it to each of the rooms as we could. So the, the challenge was, and one of the reasons they're moving next year to a new facility, is that we didn't actually have access to the, all the rooms because there was another conference going on. There was a Sisters of Mercy conference, of all things, uh, in all the rooms, <laughs> in, in most of the rooms. And the other half was, was filled with Chick-fil-A employees doing some sort of uh, oh, corporate retreat. Oh, I did see that. That's right. <laughs> so we only had access to, I think, one of the rooms the first night. So we put some stuff in there, ran the cables, ran the mics, set up the mixers. But then we had to get up at the crack of dawn the next day and, or sorry, not even, that, that next day, we didn't have access to the rooms until 11 o'clock. So basically, as registration was happening, me and my, my colleagues were running back and forth like crazy people, taking all the equipment to the rooms that we could get access to. And then some, we had to take the equipment and move it to another room once the session was over. So for instance, the one session where um, Jeffrey Kafer was, once he was done on Thursday or on Friday... We took that equipment out and ran it to the, the bar so we could set up karaoke with the same speakers and mixer. So it was constant movement, constant work. Uh, it, it was not, not what I was expecting, but it was really interesting to see the conference from that side because there was a lot of fringe benefits involved. First of all, the most obvious is a, a discount on registration. So when you volunteer for the conference, they have a thing called the Ambassador Program. And if you, if you go to the website, you can actually register for this now for next year to apply you can get a registration for $250, which is half the cost of the registration. And as an ambassador, you only have to commit to eight hours of work during the conference. And that can be maybe doing registration, maybe doing setup, maybe doing audiovisual stuff like I was doing. It might be a room attendant where you uh, offer water to the, the presenter or make sure they have the chair they need. Uh, just eight hours of your time throughout the conference, so you can get half off the registration. So check that out if you're interested next year. It might be a way to get to the conference that you might not have thought about. So that was one benefit. And honestly, I could not have gone to the conference without that discount. So that was the one reason I did it. But the other, and I knew this would be the case from my history with other businesses, is that when you're on the team like that, there's a lot of behind-the-scenes contact that you get that really isn't possible any other way. So for instance, the first day, Within seconds of being there, I was in the room alone with Mary Lynn Wisner and, and chatting her up. And I met Tom Pinto before anybody else did the same way. I was helping him get set up with the, the microphone and the TVs that he was using to present. So that was cool. Um, the morning of the keynote speech, Bill Farmer, the voice of Goofy for the last 40 oh, sure. years, he was in the room and it was me and Uncle Roy and, and Kerry Donovan, I think. And that was it. And Bill. So we just sat down and started talking about our families. And I was showing him pictures of my kids with Goofy. <laughs> so... There's really That's no way wonderful. to there's yeah. really no way to get that sort of access without being part of the team, and that was really awesome. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'll share one story about how that went even further on the way out. I was at the airport on my way out of town, and I walked into the terminal, and there was really no seats at all. 
except for the one seat next to Tom Pinto. So I, he remembered me. I said, hi, I asked him if I could sit there. I did. And we had a half an hour conversation about nothing VO related, just about our families. Turns out that his, his ancestors and mine are from very similar areas in Sicily. And we talked oh, about cool. Italian heritage and, and all kinds of cool stuff that wasn't at all related to business, but I got to know him really well personally. And that was awesome. And that would not have happened if I hadn't had the chance to meet him one-on-one in the, in the, the conference room before it started. And that's one thing that like, that, that's actually a really good point that I want to bring up since, uh, since it's fresh is when you go to these events, yeah, we're all in a similar industry and many people are happy to talk shop, but a great way to actually build a relationship is to not talk about voiceover, is to ask people questions about their family and, um, and what they're up to. People are usually quite happy to talk about something else because they're like, that's their job is that that's their nine to five. So sometimes it's nice to move away from that. Yeah, exactly. So just to wrap up the discussion on on volunteering, I will say that Gerald Griffith, the organizer, is really about people getting the experience they need. So even though I was on the team, I was able to go to any X sessions I wanted to if I paid for them. And any of the sessions that I wanted to be in that were general breakouts, I could make sure I was in that room. So for instance, I really wanted to be in Scott Brick's session because that's what I wanted to learn about. So I made sure I was running the audio board for Scott Brick. And the same thing happened with uh, one of my colleagues, Andrew Bates. He really wanted to be in the room with, um, with Ellie Ray. And he was because we just switched. I was supposed to be in that room. And he said, can I be in this one? Because I really want to be with her for this session. So we switched. So whatever things I really wanted to see, I could still do that. And Gerald was totally on board with that happening. And it was really, really gracious of him to set it up that way. And for people who might not know who these uh, people are... Um so Ellie Ray Hennessy is this amazing character actress uh, who's based out of Toronto, and she had this fabulous workshop. I was actually at the one that Andrew wanted to attend, and as he said, I think that is the first breakout session I've ever seen where there was a standing ovation. Like, everyone was so moved. She has so much energy and charisma, and she's so physical in her in her acting um, that it was very inspiring. And and that's that's one of the... Like it, it really encapsulates what these events are about is how inspiring they can be to help you sort of like to push yourself to new heights in your career. Yeah, and then, I, uh, I can say that one was really loud because I was next door with Rob Sigampaglia, who was kind of kind of quiet and he mm-hmm. was constantly getting drowned out by cheers and laughter. <laughs> I felt oh, bad no. for him. <laughs> Way to get his name right, though. Um, and then. We, we mentioned a few other people. We had uh, Mary Lynn Wisner. She's actually a casting director and voice talent herself. I did an X session with her last year at VO Atlanta. So uh, you, you hear Paul and I mentioning X sessions and breakout sessions. The breakout session is just a general session that is open to any attendee. It comes with your registration. And these can, even though they're general sessions, they may not just cater to newbies. Um, like, like, Paul was saying before, Gerald does a really good job of offering uh, differentiated experiences based on people's experience level and their uh, their niche of VO and their interests. So, um, and then the X sessions are basically private workshops. They're smaller. Um, limited amount of attendees can register. Yeah, l- limited amount of attendees. Some like maybe twelve or less, and uh, and there's an additional fee. But honestly, if you look up some of these coaches or casting directors or voice talent services, it's actually usually more um, more cost effective to do it as an X session than a one on one. So uh, that that's a huge added value to the to a the little less stressful itself. too. A lot less stressful because too. you have camaraderie. Yeah, yeah. One thing I want to mention about the X sessions: I was setting up um, Melissa Exelberth in one of the rooms, and in the middle of the room, she stopped me with all the attendees there and said. Hey, I really like your. I've really heard great things about your podcast. Uh, I'm really. Gonna, I'm just going. I'm going to start listening and check it out. So, thank mm-hmm. you, Melissa. Hopefully, you're listening now. Um, that was a really nice shout out in the middle of a, of a crowded room. Thank you. Yeah, it was great. She she said the same to me afterwards. And she's she's a talent at the top of her game. And so, just having like getting compliments and words of encouragement from her is huge for my my fragile ego. Yeah, me too. <laughs> so we talked about what the experience was like. What was the the biggest thing you learned or from who did you learn the most, you think? Well, since Ellie Ray's fresh on my mind, um, probably her. She So she taught me two things that were like, first off, she's very, very physical. 
And she talks about how very she's, she's got this great um, or sort of a podcast about just different vocal placements. Vocal placement is just where the airflow is going through your instrument and what the kind of sounds that makes. So, I mean, you might be familiar with nasal. It's, it's in your nose. You're, you're passing it through. But then you can make an even more complicated character if you push it through your sort of soft palate. And then you can slow it down and bring it down a little bit and have a really dumb character. <laughs> that kind of thing. But, um, but yeah, that's all vocal placement. And if you, you familiar yourself or familiarize yourself with the different areas of it, you can create a pretty healthy stable of characters. So that was one point. And then another thing that she said is that even though as as voice actors, it's important to practice diaphragmatic breathing, like breathing from the diaphragm, so you can have that resonance and power and stamina to help get you through four-hour sessions of <laughs> recording sessions. But the thing that was really uh, revelatory for me was the fact that she's like, your emotional core is actually in your chest, which makes sense because that's where your heart is. But um, she's like, go ahead and laugh for a second. Like, ha, 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 where is that coming from? It's in your chest. And if you're angry or if you're frustrated or, um, or sad, like, ah, ah, it, ah, ah, it's still in the chest, but it's choked off. And that was huge. The fact that negative emotion was just like a choking off of positive ones. Hmm. And so that was really cool. And then, um, and then she said one other thing that was really motivating for me because it kind of um, ties up into a, another experience I had the week before. But she, she just said, if I learn something from an experience, I can never fail. And so as a VO, as a new VO, you're going to make mistakes all the time. But if you learn from it, it's not a failure. You're not, it's not the end of the world. You can move on and improve. So that was pretty That's huge good. too. What about you? Yeah, I think the thing I learned most was from Rob Sigampaglia. And it was all about business acumen and how to protect yourself from possible lawsuits and make sure you've, you've done all the, the proper paperwork. So one of the things he mentioned was that uh, another voice talent is being sued right now for a picture on his website that used to be royalty free and now is being bought up or has been bought up by a company and they filed a lawsuit. So Rob said there's this whole new business out there of companies going by, going around and buying behind the scenes pictures that used to be on royalty-free sites, securing the rights to them, and then finding where they are on the web and just sending out lawsuits to people and saying, Cease ding, assist? ding, That's ding. That's ridiculous. Horrible. Oh. <laughs> and and Rob said, get awful. ready because it's coming in full force. It's a whole new business model. Wow. So that was eye-opening. Then he talked about um, talent agreements and how important those are, that basically you need to have a talent agreement when you when you work with a client to protect yourself, not necessarily them, but make sure you know what you're getting into. So if they come back and, and try and misuse your, your voice, then you have that in place. And the biggest takeaway from the session was that you always own your own voice recordings. So even if you do a recording for an audiobook, you own the recording of your voice doing it and you need to protect yourself accordingly. So make sure no one else uses that without your permission. So if an audiobook um, publisher, for instance, is using your audition to promote their book, that's not okay unless you say it is because that's your property. So I found that really interesting. Yeah, and, and I understand that contracts and actor agreements can be intimidating for many, but Rob actually wrote an entire book about it called Voice Over Legal, and he actually has templates for contracts and certain other agreements that you that he gives you permission to use. So uh, if you haven't picked it up, I highly recommend that. And you can find that either at voiceoverlegal.com or voiceoverextra.com. It's a, it's a big green book. It's got little judge's gavel on it. And, um, and, and it's a fantastic read. So he, like, he really breaks it down and gets you to think about all the stuff that we never would otherwise, unless you happen to be a lawyer and on-camera talent like he is. Right, exactly. <laughs> all right, so we talked about what we learned and, and the overall experience. Let's talk a little bit about actionable steps, things you should do after any conference, really, to make sure you get the most out of it. So probably the biggest thing is follow-up. Because when you, when you go to these events, you're going to be meeting a lot of other voice talent and you're going to be getting a lot of um, business cards. So it's always great to like spread those out when you get home 
enter everyone into your whatever database you use, um, uh, like their, at least their name, their email, their website, and stuff like that. And uh, one thing that I, I feel like I need to remind people of, of who go to these events is because you'll, you'll hear people who are on the fence about whether they should go and usually is like, does it lead to any work? Does, how does this help me? And you really can't answer that question <laughs> for someone because there's no guarantee. And you're going to be surrounding yourself with fellow voice talent who don't necessarily hire voice talent. But, but still, honestly, I have gotten more work through networking like this conference and almost any other avenue just because of the dreaded word exposure. and like but this is positive exposure this is like puts face to a name there are talent agents there are casting directors at these events and if you build up a positive relationship it could lead to future work i happened like this last year i got an agent because they were so impressed with the uh with how the team challenge spot turned out so you really never know and i will say though you have to make sure that while you're there you put yourself out there you do Something that either either win the team challenge or put yourself out there as a volunteer, as a team leader, or like mm-hmm. I did, be with the conference team, or get involved with any of the activities that are going on there. Maybe it's just singing at karaoke. Get out there mm-hmm. so people see you, and you can leave a memorable impression. And you've form definitely a positive done that. association. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you've definitely done that. Everywhere I went, I would mention the podcast and say, do you know Sean Daly? And everyone would say, oh, of course, we love Sean. I, don't, I, I honestly don't know how I've developed this reputation for myself, but... I don't know. If you're likable, it, it helps. Um, and the other thing about follow-up I would recommend is to, when you send out an email or if you're going to send even a, a personal letter, try and talk about something not VO-related. Like uh, something, you, a conversation, hopefully you had a meaningful conversation and you're not just blasting everybody. That's, that's the other point I would make is that yeah, don't, don't just blast everybody mail. at once and say, hey, name, nice to meet you at VO Atlanta. Hope we can work together sometime soon. Make it personal. And try to reference something that, that happened at the conference. For instance, I mentioned Rob. Um, I was talking to him later on that night about baseball because he mentioned he was a, a college baseball player. And I do a lot of coaching of youth baseball. In fact, I have a draft tomorrow night for my eight-year-old son's team. So nice. we spent an hour talking about baseball. So when I sent him a follow-up, I said, it was great talking to you about baseball. That's a personal connection. Try and do that instead of saying, hey, uh, it was great seeing you at the conference. Uh, what mic do you use? Yeah, and honestly, it gives some people something to remember you by. So, like, they, because there, there were, what, 500 people at the conference this year? And Rob was a presenter, so he was, might have been inundated by a numerous people talking to him. So, just having something like, hey, we talked about this, or I met you at the bar and had a great conversation. All of these things really help solidify you in that person's mind. And you never know. It might lead to, or they might be happy to refer you for a job that they're not appropriate for. so You know what else works great? Ha- Bringing food or buying <laughs> yeah. food. I was, uh, I'll be forever indebted to, to Fraser for buying me a drink that one night. <laughs> and, oh, yeah. That, no, he's a, he's a good... Um, and Uncle Roy made a lot of friends by bringing bagels all the way from New Jersey to hand out to people. He got the choicey bagels. Uh-huh. He actually brought them in his own... <laughs> he had a carry-on bag just for bagels. <laughs> Hey, when I when I came from uh, uh, Japan last year, I actually brought bags of Japanese Kit Kats. Awesome! Because um, you people may or may not know this, but Kit Kats are really popular in Japan, and they come up with all of these crazy flavors. Like some of them are like more tame, like strawberry or strawberry cheesecake, or um, what's another? Or like creme brulee. Um, mm. Some of them get quite original and like very japanese like sweet potato or um wasabi <laughs> wow interesting I didn't know yeah. That. yeah 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 and uh or pumpkin like they have they have seasonal flavors they have all of these different things um i uh, it's something like 42 original flavors at one point it's ridiculous but um uncle roy still has them from last year because he's just been rationing them out <laughs> awesome all right so that more or less wraps up the experience at VO Atlanta. I, I would recommend anyone considering or on the fence to go. It's it's the most it's the most fun you can have in a voiceover. I'm just gonna go ahead and say it. That that was the yeah. big the big takeaway is that everybody was so happy to be there. Just big smiles on their faces, people giving hugs to people that they they've only known from Facebook and so happy to meet in person. And it's just a, a great way to to 
commune with the the voiceover the voiceover industry as a whole. Mm-hmm. And it's a great like it's a it's a huge motivator because like it gives you like you're increasing your knowledge base, you're um, you're working with your peers. And it's just, it's so much fun. It's like everyone leaves exhausted, but really just accomplished or feeling accomplished and content. And it, it's just an amazing feeling. Indeed. So with that in mind, let's talk about some of the other industry events that are out there for voiceover that may be of interest to people. And oh, any of that you've actually been to? Let's see. So um, so there are numerous conferences that that crop up throughout the year. Uh, I've been to VO Atlanta and, uh, we were both at MAVO or the Mid-Atlantic Voiceover Conference in, uh, in Herndon, Virginia. Unfortunately, that won't be returning until 2018, but there are, there are a few other smaller conferences that crop up throughout the U.S. I'm actually looking forward to WOVOCON or World Voices Organization. Yep. And that's going to be in Las Vegas in June. Uh, April actually. It's, it's coming up. Oh wait, sorry, it's last year. Sorry. That was last year. Yes, that is in June. Um, so I think it's the 23rd to the 25th. And uh, so really looking forward to that. This is sort of like, because uh, VO Atlanta is like an event. Like if you've ever been to something like Comic-Con, it has that almost that similar level of like fandom to it. You're right about like, the dates, by the way. I just want to confirm. 23rd to the 25th, June 2017. Vegas, baby. Yeah, yeah Vegas, baby. And then... Uh, like it, it, like it's a huge event. It's it's sort of a formal, planned event, and WoboCon's a little bit different because it's much. Uh, you got a smaller level of attendees. A lot of the workshops are sort of uh, peer led, and uh, um, I haven't been to it, so I don't know the exact procedure. But if you've ever been to the events FAFCon or FAF Camp, these are just people at the top of the game or at the top of their game who are willing to to sort of take on a workshop and then share their experience and expertise. My, maybe it has to do with their marketing efforts or personal branding or, um, or studio help. So it's really sort of like, it, it's not so much like, like a newbie conference, like not to exclude anyone, but it's just people who are already established trying to up their game. Yeah, and FAFCON, actually, there's another one coming up, FAFCON 9. I think it's too late to register. You have to have already been in and by invitation only. But it's mm-hmm. it's uh, October of 2017. Yeah, that, that's unfortunate because they're only going to do a total of 10 of those. And that's quickly approaching. So I don't know if I'm going to get an invite because I hear like once there's like there's like a wait list of 500 people and it just like right. they it books so quickly. So, mm-hmm. I mean, that just shows like the value that people are placing on the event. Right. And the last one I want to mention is APAC, the Audio Publishers Association Conference. And that is da, 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 May 31st with a pre-event on May 30th in New York City. Mm-hmm. So that's specific to audiobooks. Um, but I sat in the session with um, Amy Rubinate at mm-hmm. Vio Atlanta, and she raved about this, that basically this is what launched her career, was going to this conference with a cons- concerted marketing effort to get herself out there and it worked apparently. Very cool. Yeah. So, uh, so that's once again, that's APAC, the Audio Publishers Association, and that's a great way to, like, if you're an audiobook narrator and say you've been doing ACX projects for a while but want to work with actual publishers, this is a great way to sort of like set up shop and then let people know what you do. Yeah, and one thing Amy said, another takeaway from View Atlanta, and it really makes sense for any conference is, don't go there until you're ready. Have a, a fantastic demo, know who you want to talk to, have business cards, be ready before you introduce yourself to a publisher. Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. like I said, we want to make positive associations. So like you don't want to be remembered as the guy who is swinging from the chandelier like after one too many drinks, you know? Well, so, <laughs> maybe. Unless you did some really cool backflips afterwards. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, so that wraps up most of the industry events, at least uh, the ones of which we're aware. Let's talk about some sort of ancillary or related events that may be beneficial to your VO career. You just went to mm-hmm. one, right? Yeah, I actually. So, um, so a little about me. I'm a big comic book fan and or geek or whatever. I'm a big comic book geek and uh, love superheroes, love cartoons, love comics. So for the last five years, my dad and I have actually been going to Comic-Con together because he's a big Trekkie and um 
so we we can both kind of satisfy our inner nerds. So so my dad and I have been going to this event, and since about five years ago, there's been a lot of um, there's been a call to have voice actors as celebrity guests because they had popular TV and on, or on camera celebrities coming, but no voice actors, and. So that that was a big draw for me. I mean, I've gotten more autographs and signed pictures from that event than anything else. But I've met all of my voiceover idols. And they're actually like just like everyone we met at VO Atlanta. They are so generous with their time and their expertise. And they are so encouraging of new talent. Uh, Rob Paulson was telling me. Uh, so if you don't know who Rob Paulson is, he was Yakko Warner in... Um, in Animaniacs and Warner Brothers Animaniacs. He was Pinky from Pinky in the Brain. He was the original Raphael in uh, in the 1980s Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. And he's now the current Donatello in the current Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. So how often does that happen? Awesome. But, uh, yeah. And so when I told him, he's like, he's like, you're doing all the right steps. And, um, and he's like, and at some point, you will have to sort of lead the way for people who come after you. And then I mentioned our podcast and how we're trying to do just that, you know. So Did he say he'd be a was... guest? <laughs> no. Why? Oh, that was a perfect opportunity wasted. Um, but, I mean, these things are great to because uh, to see people at the top of their game, and if you ask the right questions, they are very happy to, to, or to tell you some golden nuggets. And because very often you have people who haven't done their research, you're just like, how do I get into voice acting? Can you submit me to your agent? Like, oh. you know, <laughs> and yeah, exactly. I mean, even us were like, oh, no, they don't like first off, they do not have time to answer that question in a panel. <laughs> and there's no way like they're everyone's journey is personal. There's no right or wrong way about it. Like Jim Cummings, uh, the voice of Pete and um, Winnie the Pooh for Disney uh, like he had all sorts of odd jobs. Like he worked on a steamboat. He was a drummer in a rock band. He like he helped build floats for Mardi Gras. Like he worked in a strip joint. Like what, like yeah, you don't know. <laughs> um, like who's to say? And apparently it was all like it was all relevant skills for him. So, <laughs> well, we actually have a clip of you asking the right question and with the right voice. So let's play that now. Um, I'm Sean, Sean Daly from Port Orchard, Washington, and uh, I got two questions for Tress. First one's a little personal and very important to me. Nice audition. <laughs> and believe me, I'll pass along the word. No, um, yes, Donald. Donald and Daisy have been engaged for 75 years. <laughs> and so, it's nice to have the question popped at long last. <laughs> it's a very difficult voice to do, the voice of Donald. I cannot do it. And I was so relieved when I, when I was auditioning for the voice of, of Daisy, because you don't hear uh, of Daisy much at all in Disney cartoons until, you know, the mid 80s and uh, I was so afraid that they were going to want me to be a, 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 a female you have to quack you know like Tony because no kid do no, in a very beautiful and feminine way of course so anyway very very difficult job to do God bless you so the, so the actual question was, we were talking about this a little bit on Friday, but I've been doing uh, professional voiceover for about three years now, commercial and narration. How do you tr uh, transition from that more straight stuff into animation and video game work? Okay. Well, I'd, I'd take any job that they'll offer me. And I didn't know. And I didn't, uh, I didn't specify. You, you want me to do an insurance narration or an industrial or a trailer? Oh. Whatever, you know, uh, it's House of Tile, you know, Bob's Law School, yeah. all, you know. Todd's House of Formica. It's all work, <laughs> and, yes. and, um, uh, and you get better and better and better, you know. You just fail up, and uh, it's practice, you're being paid to practice, so never turned out any kind of a voice. I never say no. Yeah, I didn't uh, get a cartoon for the first 10 years of my career. 
Yeah. And then it slowly just kind of, once I got my foot in the door at Hanna-Barbera, yeah. Um, yeah, fix that up, but good. <laughs> so, um, yeah. Um, so it, it gradually it, it, it transitioned, which is a very good thing for me because um, uh, I prefer the cartoons now, but uh, there was a time when I, I liked the radio and television commercials yeah. better. So I hope you guys enjoyed that. I mean, I've been a fan of Tress McNeil for for decades honestly she was like my first voice crush like i remember watching um rescue rangers that show with chip and dale and a couple of other rodent <laughs> uh sidekicks and she like she was gadget on that show and then uh she was babs bunny on tiny tunes so and and she's more than half of the female voices on the simpsons so this was just amazing to be able to like to say or like to her you know express my feelings like only donald can yeah that was but, that was uh, really cool yeah it was a uh, it was very unique actually at my voiceover meetup group in seattle yesterday one of the other talents had seen that so like oh did you did you go to that panel i was like yeah it was donald duck and she's like that was you <laughs> <Awesome>. so <laughs> And then that was televised. Who knows? Maybe someone at Disney saw that and be like, we need more people. We need another Donald. So <laughs> not keeping my fingers crossed for that one, though. Or at least we need Donald in 15 years. Yeah. Let's we'll mark see. him down. Let's, yeah. Maybe it will, uh, I got to work on that one. Um, but yeah, it's just like one of the reasons I love going to these events and is that it really kind of reminds me why I wanted to get into voiceover in the first place. It's incredibly encouraging and they're just fun. So, because, uh, like, once again, you see people at the top of their game and you see what kind of skills that you might want to, to emulate. For example, improv is huge and is a very valuable skill for an animation or character voice actor to have because they might ask you to make a voice for a character on the spot or they might ask you to supply dialogue. So uh, it's very valuable. And when, so we were going to show you one more clip. So starting about a few years ago, or a couple years ago, they have this thing called Twisted Tunes at Emerald City Comic Con, which is a panel where all of the voice actor guests do a table read of a Star Wars film. So when they started this five years ago, it was, uh, it was A New Hope. So last year they did The Empire Strikes Back. And then this year they're going to finish off the original trilogy with Return of the Jedi. So they do, they just go through the screenplay scene by scene. They assign the actors roles to be read in character. And so it's always very entertaining. And not characters from the movie. Yes, not characters from the movie. So for example, you might have, say, Dot from Animaniacs playing Luke Skywalker or um, Kermit the Frog playing Jabba the Hutt or uh, Eric Cartman playing Yoda. So it, it gets really, it's just, it's some hilarious stuff. And so I thought we'd like to share a, a little clip from that for you. And I hope you guys enjoy it. Here it is. This is the Animaniac scene, folks. Hey. All right. As the Emperor, Yakko Warner. As, all right, in this scene, we're splitting. Yeah, okay. Yoda, Wacko, Luke, Dot. And we are going to have it narrated by Jim. Richard Pryor. What? <laughs> and Darth Vader, Troy, is going to be Patrick Warburton. Okay. What? All right, you whenever you are ready, start her up. The next 12 pages have Luke doing a backflip on a plank. A blind solo comically taking out Boba Fett with his dangerous ass and a lot of princes can be shown, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> and a ship being destroyed. Oh yes, and Luke went to Dagobah. <laughs> Moving on to the Death Star and rise, my friend. The Death Star will be completed on its schedule. <laughs> you have done well, Lord Vader, and now since you wish to continue your search for a young Skywalker, am I correct? Yes, my master! <laughs> my goodness, your head is going to explode, isn't it? <laughs> Patient, my friend, in time he will seek you out. And when he does, you must bring him before me. 
Before me, he has grown strong. Only together can we turn him to the dark side of the force. Yeah, I'm not gonna ask too many questions about that, but as you wish! Everything is proceeding as I have foreseen. <laughs> when the Emperor get done laughing, we're fit to be in Yoda's house, y'all. And they go by Yoda's house. Alright, so once again, that is from the Emerald City Con. And there's a lot of those events actually around the country. And one that I wanted to mention, um, friend of the program and featured in this this episode is Heather Masters, who's one of the voices in the Five Nights at Freddy's sister location game, as well as Andy Field, who I just met at Bio Atlanta, are both going to be at the Connecticon, which is in Connecticut uh, on July 6th through the 9th. So check that out if you can. Very cool. And congratulations, Heather. That's wonderful. You've made it. <laughs> Yeah, it's, that's really awesome. So, yeah, so Comic-Con, you can sort of see the connection because you have animation voice actors coming there. And uh, that what was cool is there was another panel of local Seattle talent, like the voice of Gladys from the, the Portal Games was there. And then a couple, uh, or Jin Hammond, a woman who does a lot of uh, voices for Defense of the Ancients, which is an online um, multiplayer game. And then uh, like they were just talking about sort of breaking into the biz and they actually offer classes through the Seattle Voice Institute, which I'll be uh, I'll be joining this weekend, actually. So for gonna have a character workshop. Oh, cool! So I'm really looking forward to that. And um, and and those kind of in-person workshops are another great way to get your name in people's ear and to say like, hey, this guy's pretty good. I got this video game that would be great for him. So, but so moving away from like lesser, maybe less obviously connected events. Seattle also has this thing called PAX, or Penny Arcade Expo, which is a huge gaming conference. So, because uh, we have a lot of indie developers in uh, in the Washington area. It's something like 50, actually, and they all need voices for their games. So that would be a great way if you could just buy, um, like, buy a booth or a table for yourself and have your business cards out and some of your, or like, maybe audio samples of your work playing at your booth. And just explain to people what you do. And who knows, the connections you make could lead to future work. Yeah, and that brings me to the last sort of related events I want to talk about. And it's something that I've done in other businesses is to find the events for the industries with which you want to work that relate to your business. So, for instance, if you're doing a lot of uh, medical narration, then you may want to join some of the associations that are related to surgeons or uh, the American Urological Association, for example. A lot of these are based on the East Coast, particularly in Northern Virginia, but they have events all around the country. Or let's say you want to do work for automotive dealers, then go to your local automotive dealers association and join that, or at the very least, see if you can go to their events and set up a table. And what you can do is, like Sean was saying, set up a booth, uh, maybe offer to do recordings on the spot. I'm actually doing this with a local networking group. Uh, where I'm going to go to their their event, set up a set up a portable booth, and record messages for them on the spot, and wow. s- send them out to them so they can have them. And it won't be the the greatest quality, although you never know. It depends on what I bring with me, but they'll see what I can do, and they'll have that opportunity to contact me for future work. So, networking groups, um, chambers of commerce are great to 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 look for. They also have events. Um, other civic organizations like the Police Athletic League. The Girl Scouts, the Boy Scouts, any of those organizations need public service announcements, need phone messages, all the voice work that that is out there. Join those organizations and be part of the community, and you can get yourself out there as a trusted expert in the voiceover field. I believe it was voice talent John Melly. He's got a he he's got his own podcast that's specific for marketing, and he's got these series of articles where he mentions that he actually went to a dentist or a dental trade show. And as you might guess, he was the only voice talent there and he had a booth set up and he actually made a commercial, like a sample commercial of like dental services. So, yeah, that's what uh, I'm talking about. I plan to do the exact same thing. Uh, I thought I created it, but I guess not. (laughs) Just Great minds think alike. So, I mean, once again, it's like it's just remembering to go to the places where people are hiring 
not necessarily like i mean don't don't get me wrong as you as you probably guess we love vo atlanta we love voiceover conferences they're wonderful places but there's no guarantee that you're going to get work from that but if you go to a place where you are the commodity then like your chances are much much higher yeah and sometimes you can actually barter the entry fee so i tried this time it didn't work out but you may be able to say if i do this service for all of your attendees can you comp me the registration fee or the, the table? Some, a lot of times there'll be a charge for setting up the table yeah. for a lector can say, if I provide the service to everyone who walks in the door, how about you comp me the registration? And oftentimes that'll work out. So just thinking outside the box for other events, ways to create business for your voiceover business. Very cool. So that pretty much wraps up our this episode of the VO Meter. We hope that we've planted the seed for you to think outside the box with some of your marketing efforts, whether it be in person at a trade show or to the people that you reach out to. Doesn't always have to be industry or direct industry related stuff. Thanks again so much to our listeners. Thank you to Heather Masters for her great VO Meter shtick. And thank you to Ann Ganguza and Gerald Griffith over at VO Atlanta for having another amazing conference. It literally gets better and better every year. And I'm really glad that I get to go again next year. Anyone you want to thank, Paul? I was going to thank Ann and Gerald, but you stole it from me. Uh, Yeah, I want to also thank Ann Ganguza and Gerald Griffith for having me as part of the team. That was fantastic. I can't even I can't even explain the, the effect it's had on me over the last two weeks. It was really fantastic, and I can't wait to be back next year. Awesome. So this is Sean and Paul for the VO Meter. Measuring your voiceover progress. Thanks again. See you next time. Thanks for listening to the VO Meter, measuring your voiceover progress. To follow along, please visit www.vometer.com 